I know of a woman named Annie. Annie, when she was three years old, her mother died while giving birth to her younger um, sister. Her dad, who was also quite ill, decided the best thing he could do was to try to find a place for them. So he found this widow that, that he knew who already had two children, and he placed his children with her. That was not a very pleasant situation, though, because she already had two children, and she didn't really want these other two. In time, she, arrangements were made for an, a childless couple to adopt these two girls. And then as Annie finished high school, her adopted parents both died, and her dad died. And her sister became frail at a very early age. And then Annie herself was diagnosed with a really bad, severe form of arthritis to the point that she eventually ended up in a wheelchair. She was a school teacher, and she got to a place where she couldn't teach anymore, really young. And she struggled every month of her life to make ends meet. I want to picture Annie in front of us today. And we say to her, suck it up. God won't give you more than you can handle. Does that sound like the right thing to say to her? That's what I want to ask. That's what I want to look at this morning. We're doing this, uh, looking at this today as part of a sermon series we're doing, where we're going back and looking at some of these little pithy sayings, these little cliches that get said. We've said them. People have said them to us. They're usually... They're said in, with good intentions, but we rarely have really focused in on them and really look, taken a deep look at them. And when we do, we find uh, maybe they're not doing exactly what we thought they would do. That's why we've titled this whole sermon series, Unquestioned Answers, because a lot of times we give these out as answers, but we haven't really done the hard questioning and thinking behind them. And that's what we're going to do today. And today we're going to take up this one, you know, that God won't give you more than you can handle. And when you start to look at that, that um, saying, the very first question we might ask is, where is it in Scripture? So we can sort of start to deal with it. Well, like all of these things that we're dealing with, it's actually not in Scripture, not directly. The closest verse that there is on this is from 1 Corinthians 10. And I want to read that verse and kind of unpack it a little bit because it's the one that gets quoted and cited along with this saying, if you go start looking at research and doing things. A little bit of context, though. Um, Paul is writing to a church that he founded, and Paul was in this church in 49 or the early 50s um, AD, and he founded this church, and he's keeping his hand on the pulse of the church. And now in 1 Corinthians, he, he, we get one of the letters that he, he wrote to them. And, and you know, for their part, they're in Corinth, this big city, it's a city with lots of temples, lots of pagan activity. It's, they have temple prostitutes. It's considered sort of like a hub of sexual immorality. And what Paul is hearing about is that there are people there who have made a commitment to follow Christ. They're following Christ, but they're still slipping back into some of these pagan ways. And that sexual immoralities become an issue there. And Paul, in part, is trying to deal with that. And he wants to warn them. And he wants to let them know that there's a way to deal with this. And so part of what he does as he takes this up is he says, let's go back and look at the Israelites because they went through a time too 
where they got into some of the pagan practices. They too had these experiences of sexual immorality and it didn't go well. And Paul wants to bring that up to them as a warning, as a caution to them. And he particularly wants to look at those who are kind of saying, no, I got this. I'm good. I'm strong. And Paul wants to tell them, look out. When you think you got that down like that, look out. And then we get to uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And Paul is going to say this to them. He's going to take this up directly. He says, no, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with testing, he will also provide the way out so you may be able to endure it. But it has this line in it that, we, that sounds like the one we're looking at today where it says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Paul is dealing with temptation that comes our way. And Paul is encouraging them to not only resist, but that whenever you're faced with it, there's some way to get out of that picture and out of that situation. He's not talking about the trouble that comes our way in life. He's talking per se, but he's talking about temptation. And we're mindful that scripture says a lot about temptation. One of the things it says in James 1 is about how God is not going to tempt us. He's not going to test us that way. And so we get that. The way the message translation uh, translate that passage from James 1 is, don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. That's the message translation from James 1. Seems to me we, we do a good job of finding ourselves and creating our own temptations. And what Paul wants to say in that passage is there's going to be a way out. Like, hold on. God's going to help you in that. There's going to be a way out. You're not going to be tested beyond what the way God made you. And you'll be able to hold on to that. And we see examples of that in various places in Scripture. We can think about um, in, in, in our own lives as well. But we can think about 1 Samuel 25 where King David has this moment where he faces this character named Nabal. And he gets really, really indignant and enraged at this guy. And he tells all his soldiers to pick up their swords because we're going to go get some revenge. And Abigail comes to him and meets him and she's got some gifts, but she talks to David saying, you know, really, you don't want to do this. And here's some thoughts and here's what's going on. And King David says to her after he's reflected on what she said in uh, 1 Samuel 25, he says, may you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. This idea that um, God had provided a way out. Abigail came to him and she helped point the way out. You don't need to do this, that there's a way out. And I think sometimes for us on that passage, I mean, this is not a sermon meant to be all about temptation. We're going after this phrase today, but that's the verse that gets raised. But a lot of times when we're dealing with temptation, our way out is avoidance of the whole situation. You know, I, I think about so many different 
ways that that comes up. I've got a friend of mine that has struggled with alcohol for a long time. He says, look, you know, my deal is I've just got to avoid all the situations where it's so prominent. Like I, I'm not going to go meet anybody in a bar. I'm not going to go do these things. I'm not that strong. I'm just going to avoid it. Or what I think classically when I think about this example is I think about uh, the famous evangelist from last century, Billy Graham. When he first started to get really popular, he was aware that a lot of evangelists have fallen, as many people have, from sexual sins. And he, in 1948, with his team and some other folks, looked at it and he made this commitment that's known as the Modesto Manifesto. But he made this commitment that he would never go and have a lunch, a dinner, a meeting with a woman alone, except for his wife. And I guess he wasn't ultimately completely legalistic about it because decades later, like more than three decades later, he actually did have lunch in a very public restaurant in the middle of the restaurant at a table with just him and Hillary Clinton. And he writes about it in his autobiography. But this idea that he went decades, that's his commitment. And I think that's maybe the one exception that he made. But sometimes the way of escape is just avoiding the whole scene. That's Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, is not about all the trouble and heartache that comes our way, but about this temptation and our way out. I want to turn and look explicitly at this saying that, that, we, that people say. We say, we've been told, God will not give you more than you can handle. Now, I know I don't need to say much to convince you that at heart, I'm a geek, right? I don't need to go further than to let you know that I, I did six semesters of calculus back at, um, in college. I eventually passed it. No, um, actually, it was six different, six different semesters of it. But the one thing I remember is how often we would talk about corollaries, how these, these propositions that follow from this to that. And I actually think today's saying follows from week one, where week one of our ser- sermon series, we talked about how the saying that everything happens for a reason. And actually, that is a, this ends up being a corollary of that in some ways. And, and let me kind of, kind of explain why. Because as we start to look at this passage, when we say God will not give you more than you can handle, what we're saying is that God gives you all this stuff. We're saying all these bad things, all these troubles, God will give them to you, but he's going to take you right up to the edge and he won't let you go over it. But we talked about in week one, and you can go back and watch the sermon if you didn't see it, but you can go back and see how we talked about what that does for our ability to have personal responsibility and what it does in attributing all the horrific things that happen in the world to God and what it does to promote this sense of fatalism within us. It's just going to be whatever it is. And so we talked a whole bunch about that. You can go back to week one and look at that. We do believe that God interacts with us every single day, but it's not like we're puppets. It's not like that. But he interacts with us all the time, particularly by his spirit moving in us. This moment where we're led to make a phone call, where a friend calls us and says what's going on, or where God's spirit leading in us helps us go in a certain direction or tells us not to go that way always interacting with us. We do believe that, but we're not puppets on a string. Again, you can go back and and look at that sermon from week one if you want to go there. 
And the other issue that we have with this passage when we start to look at it is it doesn't just imply and say that God makes all these things happen, like he gives you all these things, but it says it, it won't be more than you can handle. And just stop and think about that for a minute. Okay, so God is going to, you're a family of three, maybe some tragedy, God's going to take two of your children, but not the third one because you're right at the edge. You can survive two, but not the third. Like what? And also we think about it. The truth is that I have known godly people who followed Christ faithfully, who in some moment, some snap of something that happened, took them into a vortex of darkness and spin that they didn't get out of, and they ended things. They had more than they could handle, and I still think there's hope in that place. Or I think about all my counselor friends who, yes, they meet with people to fine-tune life. They meet with people to help with their negative patterns, but a whole bunch of them would tell you they also meet with people who are picking the pieces up after they've been over the edge after they experienced more than they could handle and the pieces started to fly. That happens. That happens to good people. That happens to people that love Christ. So I think there's a whole lot of issues with that saying, and I think we would do a lot better if we could drop that saying. But I recognize when we say this to people, we start to now question it and get into these bigger things. Actually, people's motives in saying it are actually quite good. What people want to say, I think, I think what is deep in it is meant to be a word of encouragement and something to say that God will help you through whatever you're facing. But that's the big part of it. I've heard one pastor talk about this saying, look, we just need to adjust the words a little bit. Instead of saying God will not give you more than you can handle, what we want to say is God will help you through whatever life gives you. There's a big difference, but it's still that word of encouragement. And we do believe that. We believe that God will help us through whatever life throws us. And there are lots, and I mean, I could go on and on and on and on with passages of Scripture that I think say as much. I want to give you just a couple of these, starting with um, Psalm 46. When you look at Psalm 46, it's going to speak to this. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble that God's going to help us. Or think about Psalm 121. We sing with this, with this song sometimes, but I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No, my strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and the mountains. God helps us in these situations. I've been a priest for 16 years, and over those years, one of the um, hard privileges of the calling is you get to be with people through lots of hard times, lots of heartache, lots of tears. But again and again, what I've seen is when people, even in the dark, even when maybe when they don't see God or feel God, when they trust and lean in and reach out for him, God pulls them through. Part of the deal is God will help us in those situations if we trust. Trust those who've gone through these things before and who've been able to look back and write about them. Trust the people who've given song and voice to these things. Know that God will never abandon us. Know that God is closer than a breath. 
and keep repeating it until we know it, until we see it. Because God will remain with us and stay with us and help us in that. And there are lots of different, again, passages of Scripture that speak to that. Part of it is we know God will console us. And doing that, he'll call us to console others. Paul, when he writes, we quoted a few minutes ago from this, his first letter to the Corinthians. At the very start of his second letter to the Corinthians, he says as much. This is in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by. God consoles us as we go through these broken-hearted moments. He doesn't leave us. He walks with us. And I want to quote just one more passage of Scripture on this point. Um, whenever I go to do last rites for somebody who's about to pass on, whenever I go to meet with somebody who's had the biggest tragedy of their life put in their lap, the passage I like to read the most is from that great chapter, um, Romans 8, where it says this, and, and just think about this. Take this on board. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to stop loving us. It will always be there. And whatever our darkest chapter is, God will help us with that. And I want to go back um, as we start to bring this plane into land, back to the story that I started with that woman that I said I knew about, Annie. Her full name was Annie Johnson Flint. And after, at a very young age, in her 20s, when she's got this arthritis and she had to stop teaching and her hands became all bent up, she was still able to take a pen and write. And she became a writer. She became somebody that focused in on poetry and writing verse as a way to help with her suffering. But in time, it also became a way she did greeting cards and books and things, and then she wrote lots of poetry. Her, maybe her most famous poem was made into a hymn, and some would say that's what she's known for. And I don't like necessarily reading poems in sermons, but I want to read what she wrote. And I want you to think about her heartache. She writes from a place of thinking about God. But listen to one of this poem that was made into a hymn. She said, God hath not promised skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, and undying love. 
When you're facing hard times, when a friend of yours is facing hard times, it's okay to say it's more than I can handle. It's okay to reach out for help. God will never leave us. God is with us. God will, if we trust him, will help us through these things. He will never leave us, and whatever happens will never be the last word. Even death is not the last word. That there's this deep, profound hope and help from God. And I want to leave you with this. That maybe in these situations, my strong belief is we should not say, God will not give you more than you can handle. But in love and in prayer that we would say, God will help you through whatever life gives you. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and you will never leave us. You will never let go. You're always there through thick and thin, through good and bad. Lord, we pray as we live in a world where we face pain, you will always help us to hold your hand, to reach out to you, to take comfort that you will give us strength and help us to keep one foot in front of the other in these dark passages. Lord, console us in these moments and help us and the church family to help others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.